You're listening to Rosie on the House. Eight o'clock, second Saturday of the month, we are talking trees with ISA certified arborist John Eisenhower. Busy week this week, John. We had our first 90-degree day, followed by a nice uh, cool down. A little reprieve. (laughs) Yeah, I love love that, these little 20-degree swings. But I I like the fact that um, spring has given us a couple more cool days before we uh, give way to the inevitable hot weather. If you'd like to join the conversation or have a question about your tree, one 767 4348 one triple eight Rosie for you. Text questions can be sent to four one one nine two three, or you can send an email if you have a picture. You need a little help with plant or insect identification. You can snap a picture and email it to info at rosieonthehouse dot com. It's also, I think, it's going to be a bad snake season. Um, yeah, as well, a bad weed season, and that means uh, lots of cover for lots of critters. Including snakes. And they come in phases. You know, we haven't had um, a snake on the property for a few years. And it just, you know, it, it goes in a few-year cycle. And already they've treated 18 rattlesnake bites um, mm. at Banner Health well, here. And w- not not all of them were from Arizona. They actually had to fly a kid in from San Antonio because there are two vaccines for snake bites, COFAB and anti-VIP. Vipe. Antivipe. Antivipe. Antiviper. Mm-hmm. That's the new one, and a lot of people can have a reaction to the old one. So if they start having a reaction to that, they fly them out here and give them the other one. It's like $18,000 for the shot. But uh, it— We're if, saving a limb. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so just be careful. What, uh, mm-hmm. I've, this time of year, I always carry a shovel with me just— Yeah. Just in case. <laughs> yeah, or wear those gaiters. You know, there are some, uh, you know, little things you can wear up over your ankles. They're more popular in other parts of the country than here. But, yeah, we've got a, a lot of landscapers who will wear gaiters. They're little uh, ankle protectors because that's usually where you get the bite is up right around your your uh, your calf area, you know, just lower calf, your ankle. So, yeah, be, be careful out there, especially with the, all the, the brush, all the, the weeds, the higher weed cover. And you got to just be kind of careful, especially early morning, uh, early evening. That's, you know, dawn and dusk is the time when the, the snake activity is heaviest. Usually by 9 o'clock in the morning when it's hotter, the, the snakes have long since gone underground. And so usually not a, a risk after that. But it's that early morning uh, where you have to be kind of careful if you're out walking. You know, a lot of people like the, that early morning walk to beat the heat and gotta be careful on the trails. Keep your eyes open. Yep, yep. And headphones off. The rattlesnake <laughs> will warn you if you're listening. This is true. <laughs> can't hear That's it if you've got your point. Yeah. iPod <laughs> on full full volume. Yeah. Talking trees. What? Uh, thankfully, I've never seen a rattlesnake in a tree. Now, they did post some pictures from Game and Fisher of rattlesnakes swimming. I've never seen that before. Yeah, we but chased a big a bull snake one time. I did see a bull snake in a tree, and he was. We, we kind of scared him out of this area where we were working, and we kind of, um, uh, kind of chased him out of our work area, and he went right over to a citrus tree, and he just got up in the. There was a two foot a branch hanging about two feet from the ground, 
And he didn't go to the trunk of the tree and go up the tree. He just went, he just raised up <laughs> and climbed up into that, that branch that was hanging low. And he went, slithered right up into the top of that citrus tree. And it gave me second thoughts about climbing trees. I thought, goodness gracious, these tree, that, that, that snake was up in that tree in no time. And, he, and you could barely see him once he was up in there, but he was coiled up. And there's a big, a big four-foot gopher snake. But I thought, man, if, if he can get up there, I'm sure rattlers can too. But never, you know, gave me a pause to, to think that every time I go up in some of these trees, you could have me up there as well. So in answer to your question, no, snakes do get in trees, and they can get in there real fast. <laughs> but if they're looking for a place to, for cover, and that's what he was doing, we kind of chased him out of his little hiding place in the backyard, and then we, we pushed him out into the little desert area. There wasn't a lot of cover, so up in that tree he went. Well, we got lots to talk about today. Um, I wanted to um, talk a little bit about irrigation, a little bit about tree selection. I want to talk about fertilizing. And, uh, of course, our tree of the month this month is one of my favorite trees. Of course, of course, all these trees, because I got to select them, are all kind of my favorite trees. But this one this month is especially nice because it's in, in bloom now, and it will be in bloom for a while. They'll bloom right, in, right through the summer. It's a... A Thavisha peruviana. It's commonly called a yellow oleander. Now, it's not a true oleander, which is a Nerium genus. It's a, it's a Thavisha uh, peruviana, and it's a it kind of has an oleander type oleander appearing leaf. It's a glossy green leaf. And what's popular about these trees, and why I like them so much, is again they're a small to medium sized tree. They can be trained as a large shrub or they can be trained as a small tree. And so they, they fit so many places in, in, your, in your yard or around the house. They have very low risk of root encroachment, which I really like about them. So you can plant them literally right up against, uh, pretty close to some hardscape. I wouldn't put them right up against a building or right up next to the sidewalk. But you can be, you know, relatively close to, a, um, to hardscape elements in your landscape without f- fear of uh, disrupting the the pavers or the sidewalk, and they're as I said, they can be um, trained as a uh, you know kept in that kind of six to twelve foot range if you want to keep them a little bit lower, or you can let them grow a little taller, fifteen to twenty feet at maturity. That they're relatively slow growing. It, you know, it would probably take you ten years to get to that twenty foot height, but they're really popular for screening. I like them too because they're they're evergreen. Uh, like, unlike a lot of our smaller trees that, that go dormant in the winter, and then you've got a basically a, an, a, a vacant tree with no leaves for the whole season, this one's really nice. If you, especially if you have it, uh, uh, you're working with it in a small patio area or up closer to the house. It's nice to have that 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 greenery all winter, even though it might not have the bloom on. At least you've got that nice green screen. Uh, really nice for a privacy screen. Uh, speaking of screen. Uh, some people like to plant them at a, uh, you know, uh, close to one another, and and actually keep that fol that lower foliage as a privacy screen. Uh, there's, a, you know, several other trees like your citrus, that that and your hop seed that provide a nice privacy screen. But this is another one of those trees that you can use for that reason. One low, one kind of a uh, a uh, a. A low spot, you know, something that you want to be a little concerned about is they're such prolific bloomers that some people complain because of the of the flower cleanup. Because every time you have a flowering tree and one that that flowers prolifically, 
um, you have to be dealing with the the spent flowers, which eventually will fall off and become a bit of a nuisance. But uh, the flower color is yellow, of course, yellow oleander, but they have an apricot, kind of an orangish um, variety that's really popular. And um, I, I like those, actually. They're, they're really, really uh, attractive. So if you... Uh, some people kind of consider this an old school tree. It's they were very popular back in the '90s, and it's probably more appropriate for a mesic landscape. That is a, a landscape that has a, you know a little bit more moisture. Maybe if, uh, if you have a lawn in your yard, this would be appropriate for that. If you're in the desert communities, it's probably not going to be the, the a tree that's going to blend in well with your other desert landscape. In fact, a lot of our HOAs have restrictions on what what you can plant for that very reason. They don't want you bringing in a lot of these Mediterranean type plants that are going to um, even they have even restrictions on citrus uh, in some HOAs in the desert communities because they don't want you introducing these uh, 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 more uh, water demanding plants, and it kind of um, mixes up the land, uh, a beautiful desert na- native landscape with these uh, non native trees. So. This is more of a more of a mesic landscape um, tree, and if you've got a, a a yard that has some mixed vegetation like that, this would be a great addition to, for for a small spot that you're looking to fill with a tree. The yellow oleander. You were talking about a shade screen. The f- first thing I went to is we a lot of times we'll advise somebody to put up a little trellis and then plant a vine to create a shade on the south or west side of a home if they're looking to get the direct sun. Sure. Off that, it sounds like it would be another good alternative. Yeah, it would save you from having to put a trellis up, put a couple of these little yellow oleanders against the south wall to break down that direct yeah. sun contact. Yeah, it, sh- it really reduces that 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 surface temperature against those western and southern walls. Yeah, it really can make a big difference on your on your uh, uh, your those uh, uh, on the actual inside temperature as well. We, one of our friends did just that, built a big trellis right up on, right from the ground all the way just under the eaves and planted some really nice vines along there. And within just a few short years, they had this huge screen. But the trellis, of course, holds that, that, that vine up there and gets you that, that height and that coverage a lot more quickly than a tree would. So you can plant a row of trees, but sometimes, you know, building a, a trellis and then putting vines up, which tend to grow very quickly— is a, a great alternative. On our on our talking tree to dos this month, well, this is a great time to be fertilizing. Of course, you know we we talk about early, mid, and late uh, fertilizing seasons, uh, and we we do that with a lot of our our fruit bearing trees like our citrus. Sometimes even with our queen palms, we're wanting to because they have higher nutrient demands. Um, they they we like to. Uh, fertilize them, you know, periodically throughout the year. This is a, that spring fertilization. If you think about this, the the in the spring the plants are putting on new growth, so we're we're aiding the shoot development. In the uh, later in the summer, we're in, in encouraging the fruit development, and then in the fall and winter, as the trees move into dormancy, yet there's still root activity. We're, we're encouraging root development. So at every season of the year during the, the spring for the shoot development, in the summer for the fruit development, and in the fall and winter for the root development, we, there's a, a, a purpose for that, that periodic uh, fertilization. A lot of our, 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 our um, trees can be fertilized once a year on, some, on, on an annual application just in terms of replacing the lost nutrients 
due to the fact that we're raking up our leaves and we're breaking up that nitrogen that nitrogen cycling. But if you have uh, you know trees that are speci- are you're wanting to develop the flower, you're wanting to develop the fruit, um, that that early this is your your first application um, period for that uh, that that early uh, fertilization. And if while you're out there looking through all your fertilization, you're finding you've got some burrowing animals or something eating your trees, anything four-legged that's bothering you, Bonides repels all will keep them away. The all-natural ingredients in repels all you smell, taste, and irritation to keep animals away. They are so confident in the product, it's guaranteed, your satisfaction is guaranteed against all four-legged animals, not two-legged animals. No guarantee it'll keep your neighbors away, but it'll keep the animals away. You can find Bonides Repels all, all over the state, including Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, Treeland Nurseries in Mesa, and Summer Winds in Glendale. It comes in a variety of ways. One, a concentrate. It's also got a ready-to-use and ready-to-spray. If you've got animals chewing on a fence or structures, get the liquid application and spray it on to keep them. From chewing, or you can get a granular application and even make a perimeter if you're trying to keep them out of a lawn or landscape. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the house. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight. Rosie for you if you'd like to join the conversation. John, you want to spend a little time talking about tree selection, where it all begins? Because you know, we touched on it briefly, just in in terms of uh, the appropriateness of certain trees in certain locations, and if they're going to be uh, causing problems down the road. And there's a there's a a, a real important dimension of of a tree selection we talk about size we talk about shape and you need to be sure that you've done the research you know a day or two of research now is worth a you know preventing a decade of regrets if you've put a tree or a shrub in the wrong place and just wish oh man if we just had moved that a few feet further over I always tell people if you've got these larger trees you know and you want it to go into a lawn setting or into an open space you know split the distance between the hard the hardscape elements and try to put it right in the middle it gives a tree a lot of rooting space and you won't have those regrets that gosh sometimes you'll put a tree up against a wall and and it ends up growing away from the wall for available sunlight and then the tree's constantly on a lean and you've you wished you just moved it a little further out because it doesn't doesn't take long for that canopy to to spread and if it's in that open space too the canopy will develop in a more balanced shape and form the other um thing we talked about is that the this Thavisha pruviana is more appropriate for a mesic landscape as opposed to a xeric landscape. Xeric you know refers to a dry landscape, the mesic one with a higher moisture con- content. Uh, in ecological terms there's even a, a, a term called hydric, which is one that's very wet. You know, we, we have our xeric and our mesic landscapes here in the in the Phoenix area and throughout Arizona, you know this, the lower desert communities in Arizona. And the, uh, as I said, you have sometimes HOA restrictions on what you can even plant in your xeric uh, environments. And it, it seems only appropriate that you try to match your uh, surrounding plants and your landscape with, with other plants that would complement them. 
And that's um, something to really take into consideration that as you're doing your shopping around, not only be thinking in terms of of uh, is this tree going to be appropriate for uh, that, that location in terms of its mature size and its height and spread, and and whether it's going to be have uh, the roots are going to have adequate space, but also is the tree even going to be appropriate for that uh, that type of landscape that we have and what you're wanting to achieve. So keep all those things in mind, and you'll have uh, you know in the at the end of the day a happy tree that's going to be able to grow to its its full mature height and spread. With a lot of with without a lot of unnecessary intervention, including uh, reduction pruning, which unfortunately is the the case with a lot of the trees we have to deal with, the, um, trees that were planted in a in a very uh, ref, you know restricted space, and then you you spend decades containing the tree and trying to keep it under control, and that's not always a good place to be. It's um, you know, once a tree's achieved its, you know, achieved its landscape purpose, sometimes they exceed their their intended landscape purpose, and then you've got a tiger by the tail and the the difficult task of trying to keep it under control. But um, yeah, those are some issues you have to deal with. Now, what if you do have a plant that's in a situation like that? What do you do? You know, do you continue that uh, heavy maintenance requirement year after year after year, or do you? Um, cut your losses and say, hey, you know, this tree has given us uh, a lot of, uh, you know, landscape contribution over the years. We've enjoyed its shade, its beauty, but its original reason uh, and season have expired. You know, its re- its original landscape intention was, was achieved, and now it's exceeded that, 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 that purpose, and it's becoming more of a headache. In fact, a lot of trees become more of a, a liability. They were at one time an asset to the landscape, and they were contributing to the to the real estate market value of your home. But now, uh, if you're even trying to sell your home and you've got this huge tree that's causing all sorts of disruption to the hardscape, it's too close to the house, you know, limbs 30 foot extended out over the roof, maybe it is time to think about, hey, this tree is, you know, is not going to be a, a selling point. This is going to be actually be a liability. And at that point, maybe it is better to say, hey, we've enjoyed this tree. It served its purpose, but it's time to put in another tree that would grow up into the landscape and begin to provide those benefits. A few quick text questions for you. Uh, one, building a home, 51st Avenue, 101, moving in in June, west-facing landscape. They want to put three to small five, uh, three to five small to medium trees. Any recommendation on tree selection there? This yeah, on, I think your yellow oleander is a great. <laughs> this on West Side application. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if they want a, a little taller tree, they could be even thinking about a, a possibly a deciduous tree that would give them a lot of shade in the in the the uh, the uh, summer, but would drop its leaves and give them some um, some sun and some solar uh, heating in the winter. Uh, you know, I think think right uh, immediately of the. Uh, uh, Chinese elm tree, which is really durable and does really well here in our desert. Um, of course, the mesquites are really fast. If you're wanting to try to get a, a nice quick screen and a nice, you know, fast-growing tree, get one of the hybrid mesquites. Those do really well on that west side. More with John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service to Save a Tree here at Rosie on the House with you the second Saturday of every month where we talk trees. And I want to talk about my red push pistache man those are in bloom and they're a couple years mature now i'm really every day i like that tree those trees more and more trees can't speak 
but John Eisenhower speaks their language. Talking Trees with Rosie on the House. Love that music. This gentleman has a five-year-old lemon tree, two lemons last year, and only three blossoms now. Wants to know, do they keep limping this along or cut it down? <laughs> Sounds like they're looking to use it for produce. Yeah, that's a, not a good sign that the tree's not heading in the right direction. Um, yeah, it's hard, hard to to, uh, to say without uh, looking at it. You know, if it's still, it still has a lot of foliage, there could be some reasons why it doesn't have, have a bloom right now. But if it's really languishing in, the, in, the, uh, in that location for whatever reason, yeah, sometimes it is, um, you know, a consi- consideration just to cut your losses with some of these trees and and uh, and put a new one in. And if you've given it adequate time, fertilized it, and and improved the cultural conditions, made sure that it's not planted too deep, and it's still not doing well, you know, it might be a time to to remove it. Sometimes they'll have girdling roots, and you know, they they were poor quality nursery stock and. It's just a um, was left in the container too long, and it has circling roots, and they're underground, and they're not getting, uh, they're not radiating out into the native soil. Um, you know, sometimes these trees just don't do well, and and you can tell they're not going to ever do well because of that. And uh, time to you know pull them out and go to one of the better nurseries and and and, and start again. Uh, speaking of which. Uh, if you're get you know wanting to uh, you know buy that replacement tree, you for whatever reason have taken a tree out. Um, uh, I, we've got a great article on our website uh, at itreeservice.com. The letter itreeservice.com. It's called Small to Medium Shade Trees, and I, I put together this list of 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 my favorite trees of of varying heights. Uh, so you could kind of get a, at a glance, uh, kind of see which trees are in a certain height range um, that would might be appropriate replacement trees. These are ones that are, that we found over the years have have been very you know people have been very successful planting, um, and I give a few of the just a, a brief description of each one. But it's it's a starting place if you want to take that list with you, you know, print it off the website and just take it to the nursery. You can go to the nursery and look around at those those trees and um, see one uh, one that would uh, uh, that you'd like to to use to plant back in your in your yard. I wanted to say one last thing about tree removals. You know, if you have a larger tree, some people are, you know, like myself, are kind of a do-it-yourselfer, and I if I, there's something I can do on my own. Rather than paying a tradesman to come out, uh, try to do it on your own, and that's you know what we've in, in, encouraged our homeowners to do is to take you know I've done a lot of pruning classes. My greatest delight is for some of my customers to gain some pruning skills, so they don't have to uh, have us out there to to do some of their pruning. They'll um, in, in you know get their pruning shears out there and do some trimming. Um, when it comes to tree removals. Uh, you know, maybe it'd be better to spend a couple hundred dollars and buy a small chainsaw and take down one of those uh, smaller trees. But there's a point at which 
it's uh, better to refer that work to professionals. And it comes when that tree gets a little bit too tall and it could be risky to, to drop it or you actually have to be up on a ladder to start trimming branches off. That's at a point at which it might be better to to lean on uh, on a professional. And there's some great companies all across town, including our own, that that, that specialize in this with specialized equipment. Uh, quite often during our tree removal processes, we'll even use uh, use a crane uh, to assist our climbers in bringing some of that heavy wood down to the ground. And of course, with our larger, huge, uh, you know, 90 to 150 foot tall pines or eucalyptus trees, uh, there's, uh, you know, crane assistance is almost uh, a, a necessity to be able to do them safely. Um, also, in restricted areas where a crane doesn't have access, you know, good qualified companies can can do technical rigging and they can set up the necessary uh, equipment on ground and, and above ground to, to rig those branches down safely so they can be lowered and not damage the understory trees and shrubs. So it's a pretty technical business. And, you know, if you're kind of out of your, your depth on a project like that, you know, be sure to call a local ISA certified arborist and, and uh, get a couple quotes and get the job done safely. Just a word of warning, because we've, we've heard of some, you know, there's some stuff on YouTube that it's pretty scary <laughs> what people have tried to do on their own and, and, uh, you know, putting ladders up in trees with chainsaws and, and not being tied in and, and it's 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 terrible to see what happens. And th- sometimes professionals can make mistakes too. One of the funniest pictures I've ever seen is uh, they publish the ISA publication. <laughs> <laughs> it's got a guy, tree worker, obviously. He's got all the equipment on his. He's got the face mask. He's got the uh, chainsaw chaps. All the precautions. With his foot, he's shoving tree limbs into the chipper. <laughs> oh yeah, never want to do that. <laughs> Yeah, don't uh, chippers uh, take no prisoners. No prisoners. Yeah, I mean it's a terrible thing to even talk about. I mean, but, he didn't know. get obviously hurt. But yeah, but it was that's just like that's, you're yeah. taking all this time, you put all this up, and then you yeah, the shove answers, your foot. In the- yeah, the the Z133 uh, safety standard that we abide by in the tree industry, you know, prohibits any any limb, arm, or leg to be extended over the edge of the feed table. You need to be standing at the side of the feed table and 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 feeding the brush into the into the chipper carefully from the side, where you you're not at risk of of being pulled into the chipper. The last thing you ever want to do is use a limb to push a branch through and get your foot or caught in the limb and get pulled through the chipper. Now it seems like whenever we talk trees, we can never get uh, through it right now without talking about sisus. But this one's interesting. Uh, this homeowner had a play pool in the backyard. The pool was filled in and has a sisu tree that was planted in it. So you've got a tree inside of an old abandoned pool. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sisu tree was cracking the sidewalk around the pool, and so they took it out. But now they missed the shade and want to know what they can put back in there. And will anything they plant uh, run into the sisu tree roots, or is that not a problem? Yeah, no problem if those sissu roots are, are entirely dead. That's a difficult uh, thing with the sissus is kind of controlling them because they are very prolific um, growers and the roots are difficult to, to kill. Uh, but yeah, the uh, the beauty of the, or one of the, the real benefits of sissus is they're really fast growing. That's why they're so popular. But it, it the, uh, 
that that advantage is actually you know part of the the, the problem with them is they, they become so aggressive that they often outgrow a landscape and then you've got uh, real difficulties with the controlling the roots. Yeah, there's some taller replacement trees. Yeah, I think of the uh, shoestring acacia, any a number of the eucalyptus varieties. Um, a Texas live oak is more vertical than it is wide. Uh, so there's several taller trees. Even the ash tree might be appropriate if, if you have a, a mesic landscape that supported that sisu. An ash tree might be a, a, a good choice for replacement. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I like the idea of putting a, a sissu tree in an old swimming pool because <laughs> with sissu trees, you're trying to control the uh, the root and, and the actual walls of the pool would be a natural root barrier. So the roots could never get outside the pool. So I kind of like the idea, but it sounds like this one was actually cracking the pool um, a deck or or bond beam or the actual pool, pool itself. That's pretty amazing, but it doesn't surprise me. Uh, the sisu trees will never surprise me at, at what they've done. What we've seen in the landscapes is just amazing how uh, they are so destructive. Now, I've got a couple of red push pistache that I've put on the west side of our arena. And the oldest ones now, I'm going to say, are probably five years old now. Uh, probably, let's see, probably about ten feet taller than me. So, well, you know, they're getting they're, they're getting up there. Man, what a pretty tree and what a great shape. I don't spend a lot of time clipping them or manicuring them or trimming them. Any branch that starts growing down, I trim out. Mm-hmm. But all the rest of them, I just kind of leave to let it fill out. Sure. Man, that, that they grow very symmetrical. Yeah, they do have a, a pretty well-defined, you know, central leader often. And, and they, yeah, they just have a beautiful wide shade canopy. The one in my front yard is just amazing. And I, I again, planted it myself, and it's just gotten to be 10 inches in diameter, 12 inches in diameter now. And it's 25 feet across, 25 feet tall, and just provides a beautiful shade in our front. But you know what? I really love about it is is this time of year when it puts on the its red leaves and green and just putting on that the new leaves. I mean, I know there's hundreds of listeners this morning who have those deciduous trees that that first flush of growth in the spring is just beautiful. No matter what deciduous tree you own, there's something about that new that new life that that's on display this time of year is just really unique and a beautiful thing to see. But the red push pistache is just you know unique in that it has a, a beautiful color and all the old leaves mm-hmm. are, are leaves blooming on old wood are green mm-hmm. everything new flushing out the extended growth of the tree is red is red yeah, so you've got the red green contrast that yeah. is a lot of fun yeah they are yeah they they just planted a whole bunch of a little pistache in the uh, traffic medium b- median between the little access road and and Cactus Road, right along 54th Street and near 50, between 52nd and 54th Street, and they're beautiful. It's a little tiny planting spot. There. I hope that they're going to they're going to survive that in that little area. But I just thought, man, I, I love the, their choice, you know, because it's going to be a, a beautiful little display of trees there in a couple of years. It's to give a little privacy, a little sound abatement between the the traffic and the the homes along the street there. But they, those homeowners must have petitioned the city to put something in there to give them some screening. So we'll see how they do. They're nice trees. They are nice trees. If you've got the room for it. Like you said, yours is 25 feet across, so yeah. it's not uh, 
not necessarily a, a small space tree, but a great a great long term shade tree. Yeah, no, and, and uh, the uh, I planted mine in a limited planting space, but I installed a root barrier. So those of you who do want to put a larger tree in a smaller space, you can at the time of planting install a root barrier around the perimeter of that planting space to prevent root encroachment up against the hardscape elements in the area. Again, a certified arborist in your area can give you advice on how to install one. You'd also mentioned the uh, live oak. There's a, I think it's called a red, Texas red live oak, that's another really, I don't see them very much, but when I do, I always think, man, I'd that. Yeah, it's not a live oak. It's actually another type of um, Quercus. It's another okay. oak, but it is it is a red oak. It's own. It's not a Virginiana. It's but they're they're beautiful. They have a larger leaf, and they're yeah. I don't see them uh, around as often, but they seem to do quite well here. They're adapted, so I'd love to see if the nurseries would start carrying those because I think they'd be really really popular. Again, one of only a few trees that give us a little bit of fall color as well. Talking Trees with Certified Arborist John Eisenhower. We've got one more segment coming up, one 767 4348 That's one rosie for you. And we're going to talk a little bit about bug and infestation on trees and how to solve that here. We've got a huge bug and weed season. And if you're looking to eliminate anything around your house that crawls or creeps or ticks or tweaks, it's eight. Eight to eliminate by our friends at Bonite, family made in America. Bonide 8 insect controls, most common lawn and garden insects, affected on more than 100 insects. You can use it on trees, shrubs, flowers, vegetables, even fruit. Eliminate with 8. You can find Bonide all over the state, including Treeland Nurseries in Mesa, Mesquite Valley Growers in Tucson, or Summer Winds in Phoenix. Just one of the many Bonide tools for all your landscape and garden needs. If you're looking to eliminate... It's eight. His bark and bite, they're about the same. Talking Trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the House. Mr. Eisenhower, you wanted to cover disease and insect invasion a little bit? We'll do that briefly because uh, we've got the calls lined up, and we'll run through as many of these as we can here, wrapping up our, our monthly Talking Tree segment. Well, this time of year, you know, with the uh, very wet um, season we've had and the uh, uh, increased um, moisture in the landscape, there's a lot of um, insects that are, are enjoying the, 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 the heavier growth on the, a lot of our plants, and um, w- you want to just be on the lookout for several things, you know, your caterpillars um, on your Texas Mount laurels. Uh, we also see them doing some damage on some of our um, our uh, uh, our smaller shrubs. Um, we also, even on on our bougainvillea, uh, be on the lookout for our psyllids on your on your cascalotes. Um, looking. Uh, we've had some white fly issues the last couple of years on our ficus trees. Um, those you can usually tell you you'll see kind of a cloud of white around. You know, sometimes in your in your your ficus trees, if you shake the branches, you'll see they're very small the white flies, but you'll see the kind of a cloud of disperse around. You know, a, a branch that you've you've shaken. 
those are you know indications you've got an infestation. Whiteflies can do a lot of damage. They can defoliate a ficus tree pretty quickly within just a couple of days. So if you start seeing some high populations like those, it might be good to get an arborist out to do a, a, a walkthrough and inspection in your yard. Some of these um, problems with the caterpillars and the and the psyllids are are short-lived. They can defoliate a tree rather quickly, and it can be disconcerting. Um, but you don't necessarily have to get out the heavy chemicals. You um, There are some different types of treatments. We follow the um, integrated pest management protocol, which is to use the least toxic uh, treatments as, as possible. Um, and then, you know, if you do have some populations that need to need a, a little heavier knockdown, then of course we can bring in some a labeled product and and uh, and bring those under control. But if you have any doubts, or if you would like just a consultation with a certified arborist, you could come and do a, a look, walk, you know, to walk through the yard and. Uh, you might want to consider uh, doing that to get a professional um, to, to put an eye on your landscape and see if there's any issues that might need to be addressed in terms of disease or, uh, or uh, insects and, and even disease problems, too, that are um, more difficult for to diagnose. Uh, we've got some great trained arborists on, on site. I'm so proud of our Andy and Roy and Sarah, and uh, they do a great job for our, our clients in getting out and uh, taking those walkthroughs their yard and giving them a heads up on what what to be looking out for this time of year. Let's see how we can help. Uh, do, Michael and Gilbert, welcome to the broadcast. Hello. Yes, sir. I um, yes, I had a question. Uh, my family and I recently moved into a house, and um, planted in the backyard is um, some kind of orchid tree. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, like. Like, how do you, what's the, um, how do you take care of an orchid tree? <laughs> well, as with any flowering tree, there's going to be a little higher demand for um, fertilization. They, they are, um, you want to get a good quality fertilizer uh, for flowering trees and shrubs. And the, uh, often their, their um, orchid trees are, are, they like a little bit more iron as well. So you might want to consider some of the micronutrients as well that would be helpful in um, keeping those um, uh, keeping those nice and, and full of foliage. They do need some protection from sun. They are a smooth bark tree. If you have a Hong Kong orchid, um, you want to be sure that they are um, protected from sun. Uh, don't do some heavy pruning on them, especially this time of year. You want to probably leave, except for a little bit of containment. They they can get some branches that are kind of rangy and kind of grow kind of uh, uh, every which way, and you can kind of tip those back, you know, cut them back to a lateral branch a little deeper inside the crown just to keep a, a nice balanced shape on the outside. But beyond that, you know, be very, very careful you don't um, open those up to too much sun because they're real sub- subject to sunburn. Congratulations on the new house and your orchid tree. Let's see how we can help Timothy and Catalina. This Saturday morning, Timothy, John, Rosie. Good morning. Hey, I've, I've put have uh, put in a couple of, I guess you'd call them juvenile desert willows. They've been in the ground about five years, and they they've never really thrived, but they are growing a little every year. But one has uh, uh, something growing. In, at first glance, it looks like mistletoe, but when you look at it more closely, it's like a, a section of the of the leaves are misshapen and stunted and 
If yeah. I if I if you if you took a picture of it, it looks like a chunk of mistletoe, but it's not mistletoe. It's actually a part of the tree. Yeah, it could just be what they call a fasciation, which is a kind of a, a, a kind of a, a mutated part of the the actual tree structure. And it's pretty common in a lot of trees and shrubs. You'll find little parts of the the plant that will uh, proliferate some vegetative growth in in kind of some unique ways. And it's really there's no harm to the to the plant. In fact, some people collect fasciations because they're kind of unique. And in the plant world, uh, one of our guys brought a, a branch in that was fasciated the other day and. Um, it, it, they sometimes are fan-shaped and they're kind of interesting. But they'll, um, yeah, I wouldn't be too concerned about that. But make sure you get a lot of water on those um, desert willows. They are very, very thirsty. You might want to supplement your normal watering to try to get them to grow a little bit better. John and Roger, hang tight. We'll finish your calls off the air. Mr. John Eisenhower, if somebody needed a certified arborist, they can contact Integrity Tree Service, save a tree at itreeservice.com or 602-788-0005.